Imagine having a golfer in the house. I literally know zero inventors. There's no way for those babies to carbonate anything. How'd you find me now? Hello and welcome to How Do You Like Me Now, the podcast where we go back and relive the golden years of kids TV. I'm Will, with me as always is Liz. Hello Liz. It's Brittany, bitch. Fair enough. Hello Brittany. <laughs> Please don't call me Brittany. Okay. And no Brittany jokes, because no. guys, um, we've all realised that everything we ever did was wrong and we've got to change it now. Mm-hmm. But all you need to do is just say sorry and you know it's wrong now and then you're automatically a good person. So, so that's a... the world we live in, <laughs> you, okay? You can do as much crap as you like to people as long as decades later when everyone else is doing it, you say, yeah, sorry, I was I was bad. So, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How, how are you? Uh, you seem deeply affected by the uh, Britney Spears. It's not really, it's not really Britney. It's all of them, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's you know, I had to live through, I had to live through those times when <laughs> women were just being ripped to shreds, and now everybody just goes, "Yeah, that was crazy that we did that, wasn't it?" Uh, anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> <laughs> well, Liz, last week we did our pitch battle. Okay, it was a pitch battle, and I felt confident about Rugrats, mm-hmm. even before I knew what you picked. And then when you picked whatever you picked, I was like, this is sewn up. <laughs> but I didn't want to sound that confident because there's been a couple of times I've been surprised by the polls. Well, I say it did, it, yeah, it was a strong showing for Rugrats. Come um, on. But I do want to say that there are a few people out there who echoed my position of hating Rugrats as a kid, really loving Aquila, and no one else believes in that it was a show. So, you know, there's some there's some Aquila fans out there, and I hear you. I see you and I hear you, Aquila we fans. Might, we might have to do a, you know... A rerun on some of these ones we've missed out I on. I think so. I think because there's some, there's some solid gold contenders in there. But Rugrats did win. Rugrats did win by, by a bit of a stonking margin. But Excellent. Rugrats did win. That's what I like to hear. That is what I like to You're hear. You're back on top. Another victory. Woo, woo. I'm counting these. I'm going to be chalking them up. <laughs> so we went back and we watched Rugrats this week. And I thought that we remembered quite a lot. Because when we were talking, we remembered... Tommy and Chucky, Phil and Lil. We remembered the parent characters. I don't think we had all their names down, no. but we kind of knew who they were. And so I thought, going back to it, will it be any real surprise to it? Because we remember so much. You even remembered that they refer to Lipschitz, the yeah. the the expert. Who you know, they've got his book or whatever. But as soon as it came on, I realised there were things that I had forgotten. I was treated to a cacophony of sound and th- and images that I had forgotten. Yeah. So the first thing you see is Tommy upside down, his nappy falling onto his legs and a kind of like um, circus like cymbal beat as it happens. And then you're into the theme tune, which I thought I remembered the theme tune. But when you hear it, it is so... It is so of that time. 90s Nickelodeon. Mm. They loved a kind of like, I don't know, a xylophony sounding. I don't know. Everything has that sound of like building bricks and, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's very fitting for the subject matter, but it is like peak Nickelodeon. I Nickelodeon think if you, if you era. had to like sort of, you know, say what's a staple 
what, like, hold up an example to aliens visiting world who said, tell us of this Nickelodeon yes. puny earthling. You go, Rugrats. Rugrats title sequence. That's Nickelodeon right there. Yeah. And then uh, and then it ends with the, the milk squirt from mm. Tommy's bottle, which comes up, and then the, some words come up on the title, and the ba-ba. <laughs> as soon as I heard that, I was like, I had forgotten the ba-ba. What's the, I went into this, and I said this in the pitch episode, I... I remembered as a kid finding this deeply irritating yeah. as a show for a number of reasons. And I went into it thinking, this is going to irritate me again. And then when it started, I was like, oh, no, you know what? Actually, no, this isn't, this is kind of, yeah, this is this is nice and relaxing and pleasant. And and actually, I the title sequence, I love because as well as, you know, you get Tommy sort of wondering, you get that kind of cat robot coming towards him. He blasts it with a mill bottle, knocks it over. But I, there's a thing I love about the title sequence is that the floor... You see it kind of from Tommy's perspective, yep. so it like has like a curvature on like the horizon. I like, love that because he's a tiny little baby, and yeah, you get you get and you get a great introduction to all this. You get Phil and Lil causing chaos. You get Chucky running around the vacuum cleaner. Angelica, you know, is doing that thing that toddlers do, dressing up and like wearing all the clothes from the thing, and then she gets covered in dust from the from the thing. It's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's a great little summation of what's to, what's to come. Yeah, that thing that you say about the curvature and it's being Tommy's point of view, I think is really strong in this first episode. And I love that. They make the world of the baby so big, mm. you know, that it's only in the living room or whatever. And yet the world is so huge. And I love that. So this first episode is Tommy's birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, the first ever episode is Tommy's first birthday. So they are babies, but they're about one. Yeah. And this is the thing. I always pegged like Tommy... And Phil and Lil around the same age. Yeah. I always thought Chucky was a little bit older. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's supposed to be older or he just has a lot of hair. Yeah. Not and, sure. And shorts. Like, he's always wearing, like, like Tommy's always wearing his signature t-shirt and nappy. Yeah, you're right. Actually, I think he has to be a bit older because I think he's going through potty training yes. earlier than the others. I think that's from the second episode I'm getting that. But anyway, this first episode is Tommy's first birthday, and I think really don't worry too much about the ages because it's it's you know you've got to take some liberties here. You've got to take some liberties to have a, a show that's entirely about babies. But I was surprised by how funny I think this is probably was for the adults. Mm. Like I think there's much more humour in here that would be got by parents rather than kids watching. Yeah, I agree. Everything going on with... So, Tommy's parents are called Dee Dee and Stu. Yes. Which I'd forgotten, but I did remember the characters. Dee Dee with her red three-point... She's got like a tricorn of hair. <laughs> yes. And her big green it's glasses like and big an earrings. tea on top of her head. Yeah. And Stu has the wild blue sort of hair. Mm. Spiky blue hair. This is a thing. Like, I... Uh, yeah, I, I had a vague memory of the parents, but... I think again, watching it as a kid, I think I had largely ignored a lot of the stuff involving the parents because the kid, the Rugrats, are the focus. Yeah, you know, their 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 names up on the title. Yes. Um. But yeah, Stu and Dee Dee, I was like taken aback by these characters. Yeah. Because well, you know, Dee Dee's this very highly strung, quite neurotic new mum, new mum, yeah. and you know, so she's she's you know, she go this whole thing about Lipshit. She's got an entire bookcase. Full of lip shits. You know, there's a, there's a scene right near the start where she's, they're trying to feed Tommy 
um, with this stuff, and she's like, you know, Lipschitz knows best and gets the book out. And Stu's always like, oh, Dee Dee, we have to get that book. And she's like, nope, got to do it, got to do it by the book. And she seems very concerned about, and I think this was a thing of like quite a few sort of sitcoms and things at the time of oh god you've got to raise your child exactly right exactly according to this manual otherwise you know they'll become a stripper you know that's oh dear I think oh that, dear we've gone there have we <laughs> I think it's, it's like if uh, you are a stripper there's actually nothing wrong with no, that there's nothing you know? wrong with that that was kind get, get that money girl <laughs> but that was kind of the thing of like you know stuff in the like the simpsons had the same sort of thing of like marge worries that bart is falling into like a bad way and will end up being a sleazy stripper you're Instead of a Supreme Court justice. All the parents were obsessed with their kid not becoming a stripper, right? Right? Mm -hmm. And then that's quite a niche job. Not that many people were strippers, right? And then what's happened is now an entire generation's on OnlyFans. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's like, hey, I can just get my tits out and people give me money for it. I won't even have to leave the house. And everyone's like, hang on. There's nothing actually wrong with that. Let's just get money. I need money to live. Might as well. Uh, yeah, I had forgotten the obsession with, yeah, like not becoming a stripper. Like that's the worst thing. That's way worse thing can happen. Yeah, your kid, your kid could grow up to be a murderer. <laughs> I think it's that's bad. I don't think... want that. Be worried about that. <laughs> I think it's one of those. What's things the worst of... thing your kid could be? I mean, yeah, unhappy. Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> I was going to say into sports. <laughs> if my kid was into sports, I wouldn't know how to talk to them. A golfer. Oh, a golfer. Imagine having a golfer in the house. Then for the rest of your lives, you've got to have a golfer in the house and talk about golf. What would I do with myself? Oh, no. I'd just be like, I don't get you. <laughs> Imagine the parent just going, I don't understand you. Mum, I'm really into golf. Get out. That's no. not how I raised you. This isn't what we believe in this house. Get out. Oh, son of mine's going to be into golf. <laughs> so Dee Dee, yeah, she's very highly strung and worried about this. And, and so, you know, a lot. and the whole thing for her in this episode is her panicking that it's got to be the perfect first birthday, which I can understand because, you know, there's always a thing of the kid's never going to remember it. The kid's not going to remember, but she's very... Oh, I think she's so perfect mm. as a caricature of a new mum because she's like, I've made the perfect carrot cake with health nuggets and, the you know, the birthday cake can't be chocolate, it's got to be with health nuggets. And um, she says at one point, she's like, if this goes wrong, then I'm not a good mum and my world will fall apart and my kid won't grow up happy. And, and like, and yeah, she's spiralling, but it's so... It is so real, like mm. the pressure that new parents put on themselves. And it's why you get that thing of they try and do everything perfectly with the first kid. And then the second kid comes along and they're used to everything by now. And they're just like, yeah, let's play the dirt. It's fine. No, don't worry. No, no, no. Nothing will happen. <laughs> and it's it's just, it is really perfect. And yeah, Stu, as the dad, so often the dad is the one who's a bit more like, just let things go. Just, you know, just do whatever. And they've also got Grandpa there. I'd forgotten mm-hmm. Grandpa. I'd forgotten Grandpa. So he's from a different parenting ger- generation where he is literally like, Dow, forget all this nonsense. Just the kid wants to eat dirt, let him eat dirt. But the thing is, going back to Stu briefly, right? Stu is not so much the voice of, of, of reason and restraint for Dee Dee as he is checked out. He's, he's a toy inventor. 
right? right. Who can't make good toys or yeah. age appropriate toys at least. The toy he makes is incredible, but it is not age appropriate. No, he basically makes a drone. He does, which is which is astounding. Tommy is flying around on this uh what's it called? A hover It's a hoverama, I think. Hoverama. <laughs> it's basically made a drone. Um <laughs> Yeah, but this is another thing I wanted to talk to you about, right? Because I realised how many dads are inventors in yeah. stuff. There are so many inventor dads. I literally know zero inventors. <laughs> Where are all the inventors? People aren't inventors, Will. I mean... Who do you know that is an inventor? <laughs> okay, there are inventors. There aren't any inventors. <laughs> there are inventors. They're just not commonplace. Not commonplace. Right. There's a difference between your modern day, you know, like Nikola Tesla, yes. uh, you know, inventor, and some bloke tinkering in his shed to try and build a better mousetrap. This is that exactly always... it, isn't it? The, every guy who's in his shed thinks he's an inventor. When actually, what he is, is poor at DIY. Well, this is the thing. I feel it's always like, that was always the thing, like building a better mousetrap. For some reason, that was another thing, like, you know, was up there with, with uh, don't let your kids grow up to be strippers. The thing was, build a better mousetrap, you'll make a fortune. Why? Why is there so much money, apparently, in the mousetrap game? Yeah. That people think making a, building a better mousetrap is like the, the be-all and end-all of you know it'll be the best thing since sliced bread but look at it now when you look at the shops there's so many mouse traps you can get on there there are a lot of mouse traps now back in your tom and jerry era very simple it's only the the hinged the snap now you've got a little like plastic home that you can welcome them into yeah with a piece of cheese and, and then you go and release them in the wild you have to take them in your car with you you've got to take them like five miles minimum have you yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, i haven't because, read the packet well no because <clears throat> I, I at uni i had some friends who had a mouse in in their house uh, oh, okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds like the start of a rhyme but it's true <laughs> um and they got one of the humane mouse traps and yeah. it's one of those ones that yeah it basically it's got almost like an angle shaped tube and you put cheese or chocolate or peanut butter at the end. And the mouse goes in, and basically when it gets the thing, it tips forward. It can't back out, mm. and basically the thing closes. So then it's a case of, right, you go, and you basically you take it, yeah, decent distance away from the house and release it. But yeah, you have to take it like five miles, otherwise it just comes back. Yeah. And this is what happens. A friend took it over to the park, let it go, and saw it just run back towards the house. Two nights later, same bloody mouse. But there's, but And the now it is, won't fall for the trap. But the thing is... What do they think is happening when they take it five miles from the house? They think that mouse is going, oh, you know, this isn't farthing wood. I can't make it all the way back. I'll just settle here. Or is that mouse just going to die there because it can't, it doesn't know the area, doesn't know where the foodstuffs are located? <laughs> well, I think it's to try and get it disoriented. Or it goes it. in somebody else's house, he's going to kill it. Yeah, it goes in someone else's house. That's that's the that, it's That's the... what you've got to do. It's got to release it next to the house of somebody who looks like they've got open food sources. <laughs> Identify your scummiest neighbour and, and release all the mice there. Yeah, and then no it won't come suspect. back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's no. that's what I do. I don't want to go on a five mile road trip with a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. I just, I you know, I can't. Anyway, I, this is why you go with a snap. You just you know, get rid of a dead mouse. You haven't got to worry about taking a dead mouse five miles oh, away. Oh well, that's so horrible. <laughs> But it's, oh, anyway, no, but Stu, yeah, he's an inventor. It feels like he's just checked out completely. 
Like, he's not even, like, telling Dee Dee to relax. He's like, ah, oh, I've got to go and sort this thing out. He doesn't give a toss. He we- Why is he always wearing a tie? Why is he wearing a tie, Liz? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Has he got a real job outside of inventing? He looks like a travelling salesman on the yeah. verge of a breakdown. Yeah. He's the dad from uh, Gremlins. Yeah. Same, yeah, he is. It's the same, you know. And also, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Didn't he have a tie? Uh, no, Rick Moranis, I don't believe, did wear a tie. No I tie. He, I think he wore a cravat. What? No, I'm confusing him with his character in Ghostbusters. What are you doing? I don't think he wore a tie, though. <laughs> I don't think Rick Moranis has ever worn a tie on film. Shut up. He's always wearing a bloody tie. I don't believe he is. I don't Shut th- up. I, I, I think, find me one fo- one photo of Rick Moranis in a tie. You want me to do that? And right? I believe you, uh, right? But I don't believe that you can find any photos of Rick Moranis on film wearing a tie. And certainly not enough to justify he always wears a tie. In I, my mind, he literally only wears a tie. He, ca- he cannot be seen without a tie. I. In my mind, he never wears a tie, always an open neck shirt, sometimes a pullover. You know, even when he's like, you know, dark helmet in, um, you know, space balls, no, nothing, nothing really close up to the neck. Would you accept a bow tie? Oh, see, now a bow tie, I think, is a, is a, it is technically a, t- okay, right, that's a tie. Yeah, that's one photo of Rick Moranis in a tie. But even then, that tie is down. That tie is, is loose. That's the same. That's the same thing. And again, that tie is loose. That tie isn't done up. That button, the top button's undone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've shown you a picture of him wearing a tie, and you're saying, but the top button's undone. Yeah. Stu's top button is undone. <laughs> what are we proving here? Okay, okay. Inventors sometimes wear ties, but they always have the top button undone. Are you happy with that? <laughs> I just say, whenever you saw photos of Tesla or Edison, you know they were well dressed. You know they that that tie was done up. That, do you that, think that might have anything to do with the time period? Possibly, but, you know... These, possibly, these, who can say? These, you know. No way to know, is there? <laughs> Tesla, Tesla, if you were alive now, mate, would you leave the top button done up? Tesla, uh, uh, Tesla, <laughs> I brought you back from the dead. I've got one question I can ask you. If you're alive now, would you... Top button, uh, done up? Or sometimes loose? Just <laughs> loose. I've got a picture here of Rick Moranis, if you want a reference. <laughs> Point made. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the point I was making. <laughs> oh God! What yeah. point were you making, Stu? He, yeah, he's he not. He's not engaged. But I think this is why they worked for me as caricatures is because there was a kind of thing of these like um, the family stereotype was of the mum. You know, uh, when she's got the new the kid uh, trying harder and harder and becoming more and more neurotic and smaller and smaller things become important and the dad becomes less and less engaged and just can't cope and just goes, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but the, yeah, they are great characters. And I, and I hadn't, I'd forgotten completely. I'd forgotten Grandpa. I'd forgotten Grandpa completely. And Grandpa, he's always grumpy about that stuff. I really enjoyed him. I really like him. He dotes on Tommy. And I feel like Tommy identifies most closely with Grandpa. This thing, they're really well drawn, really well written, like parents well, and grandparents to these. To I these... lived with my um, grandparents mm. um, when I was small, and you do, you dote on them because your parents have to discipline you and, you know, be neurotic and whatever else. <laughs> but your grandparents are like, nah, it's someone else's kid. And so 
<laughs> they're the fun ones and yeah i you you do you have that really close relationship with them and there's the whole point of this episode is tommy wants to eat dog food yes right that is literally his his super objective in this episode is <laughs> is to go for the dog food you know they're trying to feed him this regular food and Mum has a go, but then, you know, he won't do it. So she's consulting Lipschitz. Dad has a go and he's like, he's got toys and squeakers and he's trying to, you know, distract Tommy and um, do the aeroplane and do Mm -hmm. all these sorts of things. And Grandpa, when Tommy escapes from his chair and goes for the dog food, is the one that grabs him and goes, um, oh, yucko, you know, on that. And he takes him over to his own bowl that he's supposed to be eating from. It looks exactly the same. And he goes, well, I see what you mean. <laughs> so I I really, I loved him. And he is Stu's dad. Yes. Because they've got the same hair, except his is grey. Mm-hmm. And then also, because it's Tommy's birthday party, Dee Dee's parents arrive. Yes, Doris and Menke. Yes, because they're a they're a Jewish family, mm. and so they're kind of like doing that 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 uh, that American Jewish accent, and they're very kind of like old, and they they seem older than him, don't they? Yeah, they're sort they of do. like Menke's eyes have just completely disappeared. Yeah, they're like in the, all, all the folds of like wrinkles. Old man walnut eyes. Yeah, yeah, bless him. You know what I mean. And the but yeah, the, but they have a few bits where they're talking about you know in the old country and yeah, you know yeah. you always had this and why have you got to have that? And um, they're great. They're great little. Again, it's this is the thing. There's so many layers to that family that I hadn't appreciated as a kid. Well, I'd forgotten that they're Jewish, mm. and actually, it was quite important because although. There are a lot of Jewish characters, especially in American shows, that they have Jewish characters and so they reference things like Hanukkah and whatever. It's always kind of in the Christmas episode, They it's an also mentioned. Mm. Whereas Rugrats actually did special Hanukkah and Passover episodes. Oh, wow. You know, they had the, the, their Christmas special. Instead, they had a Hanukkah oh, special. Right. And so it was quite important that, the you know, the makers were Jewish, and so the families in this, most of them are Jewish. Mm. And I think it's it's good representation, you know, because it it means that they're not an, an, an also mentioned. They're actually the, the main part of it, yeah. you know. But it doesn't, it, yeah, it doesn't dominate the thing. It's like, look, we made this thing featuring a Jewish family. It's, yeah, it, it's just a, it's, it's, it's not like so. That is why we've done it. No, it's, I think, I think that's really important for kids because I think even quite young kids know when something's being told to them because they're supposed to be learning a lesson or whatever. Yeah. It's actually it's worked in. You know, at those times that it's important, like religious festivals and whatever else, mm. and the rest of the time, you know, it is a very ordinary family, and kids will relate what they see in their families to it. Yeah. And um, it's interesting to, like I was saying about, I could see how many jokes that were put in that parents would have got. Mm. I wonder on what level kids are enjoying it. I think when it's about babies, there is a kind of superiority thing, like. Oh, look at those silly babies. He thinks if he gets the dog food, he might turn into a dog. Mm. And even a quite young kid that knows that isn't true goes, Oh, I'm I'm more clever than a baby, you know? Yeah. That's I and this is the thing, I think I, there must be something, I think, in this particularly because yeah, I didn't remember many of the traits of the parents at all. Yeah. I didn't remember the parent a lot of the parent characters and the grandparents especially didn't remember. But I did remember all the babies. So I think as a kid, yeah, naturally you relate. So yeah, I think it's reasonable to expect a lot of that 
would have gone but again it's like you say it's a thing written for the parents because the parents can watch this with the kids mm. so that it's just brilliant because they're so there's so many layers to those characters and they're not like you could very easily have them as just perfect parents and you've brief introduction to them and the focus is all on on the kids but they are fallible and you know like you say Dee Dee's very highly strung about things Stu is you know well, did you remember Betty and Howard no not until they came in I was suddenly like oh yeah this is Phil and Lil's parents. Mm. And Betty, I remembered a bit because I remembered her being sort of dressed for like an 80s fitness routine. Yeah, but with she's a flat leg warmer. She's um, leg warmers and a headband and shell suit. But she's also got like the the symbol, the female symbol, the circle with the, the cross on the bottom. Mm. So she's supposed to be like a feminist, but she's this kind of, I guess, what we would think of now as like a white liberal feminist or whatever, where she's fitting her feminism into like orderly chunks along with the rest of just being <laughs> an average, you know, mum capitalist or whatever. So she's just fitting that in when she can. <laughs> and Howard is kind of totally put upon, which I don't know if that's part of a feminism thing, where they feel like in order to have a, a feminist character, you have to have a henpecked husband. <laughs> I don't know if you've got any feelings on that. Well, no, I did. I did that he is very sort of, yeah, henpecked, almost browbeaten, but he's quite a sort of nerdy character in himself. And we see a bit more of that in like the second episode we watched. But yeah, they're, they're, again, they're a great little sort of counterpoint of each other. And it's almost that kind of, again, you get the sense with all these parents that. It, the whole conceit of the show works because the kids are left to their own devices, mm. even though they're babies. And you can see that because the parents are the way they are. So, you know, you've got Dee Dee and Stu have got their own, you know, sort of things they're focused they're on. They're bickering. Betty is very just, ah, let the kids get on, but they'll be fine. Howard is obsessed, you know, too concerned with other things. Mm. So even, and I think this goes to the kids. You've got, so Phil and Lil can be quite brash and quite... um you know, quite sort of outspoken, but at the same time, they're also ones who are like, "Yeah, let's just do this. Let, yeah, let's do that. They'll be this will be fun." Yeah. Um, and you know, and so they haven't got that kind of. They've picked that from from their mum, not from their dad, who's you know very sort of empty. But at the same time, there's almost that thing of you know, there's no consequence because the parents aren't watching us. Therefore, we'll do what we like. Yeah, and there is one other adult we're introduced to in this episode, mm. Angelica. Now, Angelica is Tommy's cousin. Yes. So Angelica's dad is Stu's brother. Drew. Drew. Yes. And Stu Drew and is... Drew. <laughs> and whereas Stu is a toy inventor slash probably travelling salesman, Drew, we find out, is an investment banker. Yes. Um, Which is perfect for, like, the bully kid to have an investment banker dad. Because yeah. I remember Angelica's mum, even though we didn't see her. I remember her now. She had like a side pony, and she was always dressed in a businesswoman. Oh, see, no, I don't remember her outfit. And so Angelica has that kind of ruthless business person streak, mm. even though she's a child, <laughs> and brings that into. So it's the same dynamic as with the adults, but she brings that into, you know, the kids. Mm. See, this is the thing I remembered. Like, particularly, I think when I watched this, I suddenly remembered an episode, and it wasn't when we watched, but I remember there's one where I think Tommy is having like a dream about it's not one of the spin offs, but it's a dream where Tommy is, is grown up 
And Tommy is basically wearing, he's still, you know, bald, baby-headed yeah. Tommy, but wearing basically his the same suit as his dad. And Angelica is running this company for which, you know, Tommy works for her in almost like a, you know, a real sort of subjugated role. And the best parallel I can think is it's like that bit in Only Fools and Horses where um, Rodney dreams of the future mm. and basically is there as an old man with a cane and goes to see Damien and Damien is running Trotter's independent traders in what is basically a doom fortress <laughs> and so he's sitting on a throne 30 feet above Rodney saying I've bought you out uncle you know you're not needed anymore it's that kind of yes yeah a vision of the future mm. It's the it's the Back to the Future timeline, isn't it? Yeah, it's like we go to the bad timeline, yeah. But yeah, it's, but in that they do take on, yeah, you know, they they've taken on sort of you know the roles of their their parents. Um, well, there's one other kid that we you know we don't meet Chucky's parents. No, he's he, he's dropped off with Phil and Lil, so he's the other kid that we that we meet and. Yeah, he does seem slightly older, but Angelica's clearly the oldest because she's she's their bully. Yes. So when she is dropped off, the first thing she does is is grab hold of Tommy and is like, "Listen here, dummy," you know. She's she is just a bully. Yeah, she is, and they're and all a bit scared of her. They're scared, yeah, and it, I mean, it, it's kind of how harshly do you judge her when she's clearly a toddler bullying babies. Mm. But then you get that feeling, don't you, that we're being told she'll be like that forever. Yeah, that's the thing. And I think she you want her to get her comeuppance. And regularly she does get her comeuppance from memory of the yes, series. Yes, I think she does. Um, I think she does. I think that's uh, that's a common thing. But yeah, she's and she's got this kind of like almost devilish grin when she and like yeah. you know, when she gets an idea. It's this really wide grin, but it's it's very sort of like aha, mischievous, a mischievous grin. Well, and she does the sweet little girl act with the yeah. parents. Um, you know, she before that she arrives, she's saying to the dad, "Oh, can I play with the babies?" And oh, I've got a present for Tommy and all this sort of stuff. But then the first thing she sort of says to him is, "If there are any presents going around, I get first dibs." And you know, she's she rules the roost with them. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I think it's really funny from the the bullying dynamic because you t I don't know I totally remember kids being like that you know a slightly older kid mm. at, at, you know when you were very young would immediately rule the roost oh completely yeah and I, and do people change well because I can't help thinking when I see that character I can't help thinking yeah she'll always be mean she always will be and you know, if you read my report from like my nursery teacher about what I was like, would I be any different? This is interesting because I've been doing a bit of clearing out recently. My dad moved house and basically we had to clear out a lot of our stuff. All so the I family, had, all yeah, the family old stuff, old yeah. stuff. So I came back with various, you know, suitcases and bags for the schoolwork and was sorting through something the other day. And I found like an end of year report of mine from year eight, I think. So I was 12. I'm reading it through. I'm like, oh damn, these teachers had the measure of me, and they still would today. <laughs> <laughs> There's one who wrote, um, oh god, I wish it was. It said, it seems to me like Will likes to get by on his wits rather than putting in the hard work. Yes, and I was like, that cut me deep because <laughs> it, it's the it's the truths that cut you the hardest. <laughs> Yeah. I went, oh, I do, I do, <laughs> I do do that, I, and I always have kind of got. I 
it's going to sound big-headed. I've been a smart person. I've always been quite smart. And so I've Hold always up. been able to go like, you know what? I can kind of blag. I realized quite young, I can blag my way through this fairly yeah. well and work on just a base of knowledge. And I haven't got to put in a massive amount of effort to succeed, which is, you know, a horrible thing for me <laughs> to realize as a child I that I was that... doing this. <laughs> You'd already spot it. <laughs> And one of them was like, I see you, Will. I see what you're doing. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think most of my school reports focused on the fact that I, they thought that I was intelligent and knew all the answers, but would never volunteer information. Mm. So they're like, she never puts her hand up. Um, you know, she doesn't work well with others. <laughs> so, but I, I always, yeah, I always like stayed away from um, speaking in front of, other people in class but if I was given the opportunity I would run with it I remember us doing a comic relief assembly right and this is when we were in year six so we're like 11 and it was comic relief so like we could do all the old sitcoms so four boys got together and did the young ones and there was um I think one girl got told to be hyacinth bouquet which she struggled with (laughs) um I should have been hyacinth bouquet anyway um but I got cast as Sybil Fawlty, and it wasn't much of a part, really. But I liked Fawlty Towers, so I just did everything that I could to seem like Sybil Fawlty. Uh, to rave reviews, obviously. And <laughs> obviously. I, I bloody loved it, Will. I bloody loved the attention. Probably, probably the time at which I decided I wanted to be a comedian was because I did Sybil Fawlty and everybody laughed. I loved when they would cast me in things in the like assemblies and whatever mm. but i would never volunteer for anything i'm still the same now i'm like no, no i don't no, i don't want to okay i'm here <laughs> i'm here to save the day because uh, where you said you know like they said that you wouldn't volunteer information yeah i just had a real image of you as a kid and they're coming to you so liz can you tell us the answer to question 14 well i know the answer but you figure it out. <laughs> you want to know the answer so bad, you find it out. <laughs> I made a spoon for you to you teach. I wish that it wasn't that. <laughs> I know you well enough to know it was. <laughs> but it was kind of like, I don't know. I was always in the position of, in lessons, I either didn't understand and didn't want to admit it, mm-hmm. or... I had understood it like months ago and couldn't believe we were still being taught it. There was such a narrow window yeah. of me needing the information and taking it on that I was just like, why bother putting my hand up now? And because when you don't put your hand up very often, mm-hmm. if you do put your hand up, the teachers make a big song and dance about it. So if I haven't put my hand up for three weeks and then I do that... Oh, Elizabeth, you want to talk today? Oh, brilliant, let's go to you. And then you get the answer wrong. And they're like, oh, you got the answer wrong. My God, I'll never call on you again. And they're like, well, uh, this doesn't really encourage me. This does not (laughs) encourage me to volunteer. I do want to talk about Chucky briefly, because in the pitch episode, I remember saying that I found this show irritating as a kid. And... I think when Chucky came on screen and started talking, I remembered what the root of that irritation is. Right. And it's the very phlegmatic voice of Chucky. Yes. Flemmy. It is Flemmy. It's a very Flemmy voice. And it, I found it not as grating as when I was a kid, 
Um, it's not as like when I was a kid, it really stuck out like a sore thumb. It was like nails on a chalkboard kind of thing. But now it's not so bad. But I remembered. Oh yeah, that's that's what I didn't like was the phlegmy voice of Chucky. It's quite pronounced in this episode. Mm. I think it's slightly lessened in the the next episode that we watched because the one that we watched this is from like ninety three or whatever, right? Or maybe even ninety one. Like they had an original run of um, a couple of series. Then they had a big break okay. in which it just kept being replayed and it was so popular that they decided to come back and make more. Oh, right. So I think possibly after the break, that was slightly lessened. I think it's the same voice artist, but maybe they just dialed it down. Um, so how 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 long did this end up sort of... It's only a couple of um, years that they took the break for. Yeah, so they make episodes between 91 and 93. Right. And then uh, they do a couple of specials, like I mentioned, the uh, Hanukkah specials and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's brought back in 96, uh, and then it runs all the way into like the early 2000s, um, when there's all sorts of spin-offs, and they do the movies and everything like that as well. Yeah. So... It ran for a long time. It was, and it's you know, it's being rebooted now, which is what made me think of doing it. Um, but yeah, it it got really wildly popular. This is the thing. Yeah, it, it's it is ubiquitous. I think as as a show. I mean, and the thing is, like the the plots themselves are quite simple. So I mean, this one, yeah, basically Tommy wants to eat dog food because he thinks it'll turn him into a dog. Yeah. And Meanwhile, his first birthday party is going on for the adults, but he almost doesn't notice it. Yeah. You know, it, there is a, a long section where we're cutting between him leading the other babies to try the dog food. And they've all got their reasons for wanting to be... But, you know, they want to try the dog food in order to become a dog. Mm-hmm. And if he becomes a dog, he's going to sleep in the flower bed and um, Angelica will bite the mailman. Yes. <laughs> um, so they're all on this quest to get the dog food. Meanwhile, the adults are trying to do the first birthday party mm-hmm. and Dee Dee thought she ordered some puppeteers, but she actually ordered a puppet theatre. So Drew and Stu try to do a puppet show. (laughs) I think they start off with Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, they call it like fairy tale finales or something. So it's like the end scenes of... uh, Strange. (laughs) It's it's weird. But anyway, it devolves into them using the puppets to insult each other and um, resurrect their childhood arguments about you did this and you did that. It's really funny to me because of that way when you do get like adult siblings <laughs> together they can regress <laughs> to what they used to be um but yeah it's, so that the adults are all preoccupied with that and don't notice the kids on this mission and the babies are all like standing on each other's shoulders to try and get the dog food on the high shelf and teetering about and the adults just continue having an argument <laughs> oh, no, grandpa's trying to intervene with his own puppet <laughs> It also made me laugh that all of the toys that that Tommy is getting on his first birthday are toys for the grown-ups. So the puppet show, the kids don't notice. The hoverama, which is like a a drone, is clearly something that Stu thinks is cool, but it's way too old for a baby. And there's um, some walkie-talkies, which as soon as they're out of the box, the the men folk... (laughs) Start playing army bases and whatever. 
<laughs> that will happen. That is real. That, that will, happens. That will Give happen. a man a walkie-talkie. <laughs> And you'll play army bass for a day. Yes. Teach a man to make a walkie-talkie. <laughs> you'll never see him again. He'll be in a shed. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's going on. So, and, and just the whole thing kind of, you get this this sort of, this scene, and this, I remember being a thing that happened a lot, is, you know, after they kind of get separated from the parents and the babies, the babies end up getting into, like, peril. So, yes. you know, they're using the hover thing to try and knock the can off the shelf. Phil and Lil and Chucky end up fighting over it. They damage it. The aerial at the front bends up, catches Tommy. Tommy's flying around the room mm. attached to this thing. You know, everyone's falling over. It's like, oh, God, Tommy's like, you know, he's flying over knives held up in the air. He's flying over, you know, a sink. He's grabbing the, the hose. There's a hose on the sink for some reason. Angelica's in the um, flower. Yeah, she lands in a giant sack of flour. So there's just mess everywhere. And uh, in the end, they get the can down. The can gets knocked down, but you know, the parents come back in and, and everything's all there. And Grandpa thinks Spike got this can of dog food, opens it up with a penknife and yep. um, pours the food out for him. Uh, and all the parents then immediately go back and, and the kids decide to try the dog food and find it's disgusting and doesn't turn them into dogs. And yeah, that's... And, that, and that's all that episode needed in terms of plot. Yeah. Is the babies want to try dog food, <laughs> and I, it's and it's brilliant. I think mm. um, you can see, I guess, that it is an early episode, and there's a way to go with developing the characters. And yeah, it hasn't quite settled in. Tommy's wearing a red shirt, I think, which yeah. put me off because I was like, <laughs> no, Tommy only has one look. It's <laughs> Diaper and blue shirt. He can't have a little red t-shirt and blue braces on. He can't have that. <laughs> it's like it's like last time when Inspector Gadget's wearing a tash for the first episode. It's like, no, that's what? that's not right. What is this? <laughs> so that was the first ever episode. Then we jump ahead to series four, which is after this. You know, has been brought back. Mm. So there are some extra characters to come up in this one. And also, they've done that thing we've seen in other American cartoon shows like Johnny Bravo had this as well where actually this isn't one episode this is two shorter episodes in one yes um so the first one we have is Angelica's last stand yes and the stand is a lemonade stand it's brilliant it's a brilliant episode oh i loved this because yeah she's running her lemonade stand and um the first little interaction you get is um Chaz Chucky's dad yeah who somehow sounds more phlegmatic uh, yeah, than yeah, his yeah. son. Yeah. He's ex- they're exactly the same person, basically, aren't they? Yeah. He's just got shorter hair. So he comes up and he's got his 10 cents. So she gives him a lemonade all sweetly and um, all this sort of stuff. And then her dad, who's working in the, the garden, um, comes up and he's like, Oh, can I get a lemonade, sweetheart? And she's like, 10 cents, please, dad. And he's like, Well, I haven't got it right now. Like, well, you can't have lemonade then. <laughs> and just leaves him. He's like, Oh, I'll go and drink from the hose. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, that's a brilliant little scene. That's Angelica all over, and it is really funny. Yeah. Oh, it, anyway. It, yeah. And the thing is that, again, you can imagine that that's the kind of conversation you know. <laughs> maniacal toddlers have with parents oh yeah i think there's an age at which you have to play by their rules Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't matter what they are you have to play by them this is the thing i remember seeing a program on um tv a few years ago about child geniuses yeah all the parents like you must do this we've got a genius child here we're gonna make some money off this kid and there was one basically had like three kids 
who were prodigies. And one of them, when he was like, the, the dad was telling a story of when he was like, when the kid was four, he's like, oh yeah, he had a, a lollipop and basically we sort of took it off him because, you know, he'd had enough of it and, you know, it was sort of, you know, getting close to mealtime. Later on, he said, I was looking, I lost my mobile phone, couldn't find it. And he said, my four-year-old son came up to me and said, well, you took away my lollipop, Dad. That was the thing that I loved. So I hid the thing that you loved. And oh basically the kid, the kid had thrown away the mobile phone. And rather than being furious, the parent was like, well, I thought this is a very smart child. Like, no, don't be outsmarted well, by a four-year-old and I, then let them get away with it. I think that just means you're living with like a future serial killer. Well, yeah, this is it. I, rem- I remember a post, I guess, I guess it must have been on Twitter or something, where somebody realised that their kid had gone and broken all the banana stems so that they were just slightly open so that the bananas all went off. And I was like, you should, you should sleep with one eye open. That's <laughs> that's that's not good. You've got you've got problems, buddy. That is that is incredible. That is <laughs> It really messed with my head for a while because I was like, I I, I I disbelieve most posts on the internet. I really hope that this is something that the parent has come up with and, and totally lied about. Because if a child did that, buddy, buddy, you're in danger. You're in danger. Get out of the house. Get out of the house now. Don't feed that kid after midnight. Don't let <laughs> Don't get water on it. But I think I think you're thinking too far in the like in too old. I think we're way before that. I think we're at this toddler stage of like you just have to get into their world where it's like we're going to play tea parties now. Oh, all right, let's play tea parties, and the elephants get served first because they're always pink, and you're like, oh. Uh, okay and so you just you don't get to like have an opinion or set any rules for the world it's their world and you're just living in it yep. <laughs> so this is um yeah angelica uh is enjoying playing lemonade stand but then she realizes that she's having to do quite a lot of work for it mm. so she sees the babies and she's like oh, i could put them to work yeah so she convinces them that it's a fun game to play lemonade stand and they get involved with, um, you know, squeezing all the lemon. Now, this is a thing, right? Just before we get into it. Right. Lemonade to Americans doesn't mean lemonade. No, it doesn't. Because there's no way for those babies to carbonate anything. <laughs> they are not. There's no soda stream in sight. We see what they're doing. They're squeezing lemon juice. Mm-hmm. They're putting sugar in it. And then they're adding ice water. Yes. Now, that is not lemonade. That's lemon juice, diluted. <laughs> That's lemon squash. I don't know who would want to drink that. But apparently, Americans will pay strangers by the side of the street to drink that stuff. <laughs> now, I there are many things I don't understand about Americans, but this has got to be number one. <laughs> I mean, the gun stuff, probably number two. But this has got to be number one. I've never seen a lemonade stand in this country. No, but that. who would pay for that? Who would pay for lemon juice, sugar and water? No, no. No, thank you. I'll go and get a Sprite. (laughs) Hello, toddler. Do you have any Sprite? No. Well, then you have lost my business. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. What are you selling here at this unregulated, you know, non-food safety compliance stand? Well, it's basically lemon juice, sugar and some sloppy water that's no longer cold because we've been out in the baking sun for hours. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, no, probably I'll just go to the corner shop. All right. 
You know, I think that's that's the thing that stops it in this country. It isn't it isn't you know the prevalence of you know Sprite being nicer and available in corner shops. It is like there'll be a food safety inspector around to check and say, oh, "Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. this isn't a sterile food prep environment." The council will be round to say, "Angelica, love, those right? bastards. Where are your food safety certificates? Yeah, um, where's your cosh handling? Have you got a cosh?" <laughs> As they should. As they should. <laughs> As they should. Close those toddlers down. <laughs> anyway. This is the fourth lemonade stand up close today. The postman, the mailman, comes by and has um, a couple of uh, drinks. He, he has one and then he says, hold the ice for the second one. And then there's a shot of the babies holding ice. Yeah. The only misstep for me. Yeah, it's a weak joke. Don't, a weak joke? Don't go there. You know, Rugrats doesn't usually do that many kind of like puns. Don't don't bother. Didn't no. need it. Didn't like it. You're cheapening yourself, Rugrats. <laughs> what made me laugh much more was when Lil is just trying a bit of lemon, and she goes, "The lemon makes my face go scrunchy." <laughs> made me laugh much more because <laughs> <laughs> it's just so real, and like I don't know, it's cute to hear yeah. a baby's you know expression of it well that's the thing is because it is lemonade but they're all saying lemonade which in itself is quite a cute cutie yeah it's adorable it's adorable anyway so Susie comes along now Susie is a new character yes and Susie I'm guessing is the same age as Angelica Mm. Uh, she seems a bit older and I don't want to stereotype her because she's um, she's a a black or you know an African American character Uh, but she tells them what's up she does. I don't want to, you know, stereotype that as being her role, but she she tells the babies what's up. Well, I, I remember this always being her her role is to kind of Angelica's the bully. Yeah, she's there, like she's champion. the good older kid. Yeah, she yeah. she's she's the you know the 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 opposite of Angelica in terms of the relationship with the babies. And so, but it means because she's she's basically she's the big kid that the babies can go to if they need help. Duncan, I'm blind. Okay, we've just had a technical difficulty, but we're back after a brief intermission. It is not at all brief, don't lie. <laughs> what has happened is we were recording and you looked down and you went, this machine has gone off. And then you checked and told me that none of it that we had just said recorded. And I went into a deep, deep depression <laughs> because I could not entertain the idea of going back through everything. I could not entertain the idea of going back because we take great pains to like not tell each other what we're going to say so that this is spontaneous. To go back and pretend to be spontaneous and try and hit all the same funny things, I just couldn't, I couldn't entertain the idea. <laughs> and then you found that the file had recorded up until a certain point. Yes. So now it's been about four hours and we're sitting back down to do this. And I had just got over the idea that I had to go all the way back to Baba. <laughs> that I had to go all the way back to that. And I had just I just got over it. And then you sat me down and you're like, oh no, there is some. We only have to go back to the middle of this episode. And I don't know how to feel, Will. I've I've been through such a time. <laughs> It's I've been, been up, coaster. I've been down. <laughs> oh, oh my, my goodness. goodness. Oh my goodness. No, I'm okay. I'm okay going back to Angelica's last stand. Yes. And all we'd really talked about was this running of this lemonade stand and Susie arrives. Yeah. And that's where the most important part of this episode is because 
she encourages them to unionise. Yes, she does. It's it's a bold approach, uh, but I'm I'm on board for it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because Angelica won't share her her dimes, so Susie tells them what you've got to do. She doesn't say the word union because Americans are terribly <laughs> terribly frightened of unions. But she says you've got to organise and elect a leader. It's got to be one of you babies. They yeah. say you you do it, Susie. No, no, got to be one of you. Got to come from within the workforce. Within the workforce. The only way the management will respect you. <laughs> And then you negotiate with Angelica to get some of the money. Yeah. And and she says to them, be very clear, either she shares the dimes or you don't do any more work. Wildcat strikes, walkouts. <laughs> and they do, they pick it. There's a picket line. A there picket are babies line. with posters chanting, walking around in a circle. Yeah. I mean, good good numerical chants for babies. Do you remember <laughs> the chants? It's like two, four, six, eight. We do not appreciate. No, it, I don't. I don't think that was ever three, in the episode. Three, five, seven, nine. Angelica not sharing dimes. I think you just made that up on the spot. I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't believe it. Okay. Well, there were some numerical charts, but you know, it's it, it's an interesting. It's a good development for the. Um, I mean, it's just it's one of the things you can see this plot coming. You can see this twist coming a mile away. That you know, when they start working for and she refuses to share, mm. they're going to quit. They're going to basically quit and she's going to get into trouble. I didn't anticipate, you know, Susie coming in as a Labour agitator yeah. to, uh, you know, to, to stir things up. It's overtly political. <laughs> you don't expect... I think, I think that Rugrats did always have these sort of allegories to politics because you're in this baby world mm. where you can do, like, microcosm-type things to, to, you know, echo adult world. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, this one is very, very over with their banners and posters, and we want some of the the funds. And yeah, it puts Angelica's lemonade stand out of business. It does well, it, yeah, because Angelica's like, fine, I don't need you, I can, I can do it all myself, uh, and she can't. No, she can't. It's an absolute disaster. It's, She's in a mess, getting yep. lemon squirts in her eye, and pouring over the water and her last remaining customer walks off because he's bored waiting for it and so she's totally out of business at which point i was worried that there was going to be some kind of coming together you know some kind of like a point like some kind of unions are bad plot <laughs> like a reconciliation of oh no like oh yeah you know you, you i shouldn't have uh, stopped paying you but you shouldn't have um demanded your rights now, i was i was very there's worried just, there's just a line of people waiting for their lemonade <laughs> none of them being satisfied because, the only you're letting down are the consumers but because knowing how like strongly anti-union a lot of americans are i have seen that you know, before in things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was a bit concerned, but it isn't like that because what we see is Susie running a lemonade stand, except she doesn't charge and everybody can just have lemonade. Um, Angelica offers to pay and she's like, no, no, no need to pay. She refuses the money. So there is no money in Susie's world. And then Angelica's like, well, can I play at being the boss? And they're like, no, no, we don't have bosses. This, this, so it's full communism. This laissez-faire, kibbutz-style thing they've put to, this, Yeah, this you know, Soviet farm Well, this Well, this is Americans for you, isn't it? It's If it isn't full, unbridled capitalism, it's communism. <laughs> there are no in-betweens. No, no grey area. Nothing no, no. in the middle. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's, all they, that's all they have. <laughs> Oh, amazing. So that is the first half 
of this episode of Series 4. The second half, because this is like two parts It's one of those, one. yeah, two for ones. Two for ones. The, the two for is uh, Clan of the Duck. Yeah, which I didn't know what to expect from that. Yeah, nothing given away from that title. This is this is very strange, but it's the height of summer. Yes. All the babies are making mud castles, uh, and they're reminiscing well, they're, about... They're almost like snowmen out of mud. Yeah, they're trying to make stuff, and they're finding, you know, and they're reminiscing about, oh, you know, how snow was really nice, and then, you mm. know, like, the it was nice. And, uh, but basically, it's too hot. It's height of summer. They're too hot, too uncomfortable. And um, Phil, I, I think he has a great line in this where he says, uh, I've got diaper rash down to my knees. But they're talking about basically. I think it, that was Chucky, wasn't it? Who said that? Oh, it's Chucky. Phil, yeah, yeah. Phil was the one who was biting into a hose. That's it. Yeah, to try his... and get more water and make more mud. And... and he makes holes into that hose with his three teeth. I mean, this kid is feral. That's that's like. Um, don't wrestlers do that kind of thing? Biting into a hose. Biting it. <laughs> I don't know that biting into a garden hose is a specific wrestler. T- I mean, tearing strongman. Well, they. Strongmen used to like tear phone books in half or bend mm. iron bars. I don't think they used to bite into hoses. No? Um, no, because I think. The Do you reckon is, you could bite through a hose? I don't think you can train. You can, you know train your teeth in strength in the same way you can train your muscles in strength. I think other than drinking a lot of milk. Well, yes. And maybe like filing them to get them to sharp points. Maybe. That's, that's more like a measure of the sharpness of your teeth, which it seemed more like a, a wolf contest than like a strongman contest. I think contest. it's just a show of strength. A show. Just a show of wild strength, like this is what I can do. <laughs> think because all the like the old the other old strongman thing is getting like a coin and bending it in half with your fingers, just like bending like. Surely a... no one can do that. Surely it's too small to no, get the no. angle um, on it. Louis Sir used to do it. He was like like famous strongman from Canada. Um, like... Louis Sincere. No. Hmm? What? Louis Sir, Louis Sire, but basically he was he was a famous French Canadian strongman, like like one of the strongest men of all time. Um, and yeah, he used to be able to bend coins. With I his bet fingers. coins were easier to bend back then. <laughs> I reckon I could have done that. Higher tin content. I mean, Yuri Geller can do it with a spoon. I'm fairly well, sure. Well, exactly. Yuri Geller can't do it with a spoon. He's been caught cheating before. <laughs> what is it? Trick spoon. It, um, well, yeah. Part of it is if you've bent it before. Uh, obviously, and bend it back, then it weakens uh-huh. the metal. But they got him on camera one time, and he's like, you know, um, rubbing away at it, and like, look at that, look at that. And you're kind of watching it, and you're like, is that bent? Or is that, you know, it's like marginally bent. Mm. And then as he gets up to bring somebody the spoon, he bends it in his hands, like, um, like oh, covertly that. as he's standing up, so that when he gives it to them, it looks super bent. What a prick. So he's been caught, but then See, he was just like, "Oh, you know, the, the spirits weren't with me that day. He couldn't get it as bent as I wanted. The conditions aren't right for my powers." Exactly, you know. exactly. That, that's all they all say. Anyway, <laughs> so the, the reason we're talking about diaper rash to the knees and whatever else is that the boys are jealous of Lil's dress or dressy. Yes, she's like, "I've got dressies. Only girls wear dressies." They're not quite sure on on why only girls wear dressies. No, they're unclear on this. But basically, they're, they're in the agreement that shorts are too restrictive and too hot. Yes, I do have a problem here. Okay, because would you say, as a man, you feel shortchanged by not being able to wear a dress? In warm weather, do you think? Oh, damn these shorts! I wish it were a dress. <laughs> now, only once in my life have <laughs> I encountered the kind of heat that has made me go. You know what? No, it is. I need to go out in public, and it is too hot for shorts. Right. And I was in Fiji mm. when I was eighteen, and um, in Fiji, it's a common thing. Men, women, you wear uh, a sulu, 
which is like a sarong kind of thing. Right, um, okay. So basically, you know, wrap it around your waist like it's a towel and, you know, fold it in on itself or tie it and you're, you're wearing a nice, light, breezy thing. And it was a revelation. Was let it? Let me tell you. Just to be that free and cool oh, right. and, you know, walking around like that. It's, I can imagine the kind of freedom that's afforded by a kilt. Yes, maybe. I mean, my thing with that is, because I'm assuming from how you described it, there's nothing between the thighs. No. My problem with that is, as a, as a woman having worn dresses in hot summer, right, I am not a uh, a Kendall Jenner or a, a, a Gigi Hadid. <laughs> I don't have a thigh gap. Right. Okay? And I'm assuming you as a, a larger man... Also, do not have a thigh gap. No, I do not have a thigh gap. You know, maybe John Wayne had a thigh gap. Cowboys. Cowboys. But I don't think most men would have a thigh gap. Although maybe because they've got some business, they're used to keeping their legs further apart. I don't know. Well, no, I think the thing is, if you're a man with the business, the business is not, like, directly between. Um, And even then, the business is designed to kind of, like, sit above itself. Okay. (laughs) I have many follow-up questions. <laughs> That's for a different podcast. On where the business is and what exactly it's doing, but I don't want to talk about it right now. Okay. Because what I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, if you're a woman who is wearing a dress in summer, what you quite often get is the between thigh chub rub, <laughs> right? Which is your thighs are are, are friction rubbing together you know, the the inner thigh, right. and that can cause some abrasion. And if you then add sweat to that mix, you're literally rubbing salt into the wound. Ooh. It's it's crippling, Will. It is honestly awful. That that does not sound that does not sound fun. I mean, yeah. The, so I don't the know. Inner, inner thigh chub rub friction does not sound. It is. I think it's called chub rub. Which now I think about it. Maybe that's why that hasn't caught on to a wider audience. But, like, um, ser- it's a serious problem. It affects literally thousands of women every year. Um, and, and you're made to feel bad for talking about it because it's like, you know, it's it's like, you know, your thighs being too big are the problem. I, I can't help it, all right? I've tried to help it. It didn't work, so I've stopped. You know, that 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 it's not good. It's not good. So I I I believe in a pair of shorts. See, I mean, because this is the thing. I I know that you know there are you've you've told me of many flaws with dresses in the past. Like you've said to me before that more dresses should have pockets. Now, now that makes me sound like a boring bastard <laughs> on Twitter. They were always going on about dresses having pockets, right? It's not more dresses should have pockets. It's more clothes. More of women's clothes should have pockets. Why don't my bloody jeans have pockets? Why doesn't my hoodie have pockets? A dress, I can see, sometimes they're flimsy. Maybe it's not the ideal place for pockets. But all the rest of my clothes, which are almost identical to men's clothes, fine. Where are those pockets? That's. I mean, that's true. I mean, men's pocket, men's clothes generally have a surfeit of pockets. Like, they do. I've owned, I've owned garments that have had... Too many pockets. Well, yeah, you're almost a hundred percent pocket. <laughs> I used to have a to the point where I no longer complain about not having pockets in my own clothes because I have you to carry stuff for me. <laughs> you're in a way the ultimate pocket. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to change my Twitter bio to that. <laughs> the ultimate pocket. Will is the ultimate pocket. <laughs> You're just one large pocket in which I can store all of the things. 
and then just take you with me wherever I need to go. I mean, I've been described as worse. I know. It was me probably that did it. Anyway, um, Rugrats. Rugrats. So. But the dresses, they, they, they go up and play at trying on dresses because they're in Phil and Lil's house. Yes. So Chucky and Phil are playing at trying on dresses. Mm-hmm. They're being looked after by Howard, yes. Phil and Lil's dad, because, what is it, Betty? Betty has taken uh, Lil yeah. to a uh, an, an, like a play event where it's going to be running, jumping, and a let's take over the Senate sing-along. This is my uh, a fem- uh, <laughs> let's take over the Senate female empowerment class. That's it. This is um, my exact thing that I said about her being a feminist and whatever. It's like um, being a feminist... You know, in the um, one hour a week that she can allot to it. <laughs> um, so, yes, they're there, mm-hmm. and Howard's supposed to be in charge. And Howard's, I think he's um, he's watching the, the Hobby Channel. He's watching tinkering with toothpicks on the Craft Channel. So he falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's little details like that that I really enjoy. I love it because when that comes up, it's like next up on the Craft Channel, it's tinkering with toothpicks, and then it just goes to now the normal toothpick is what do you want it. And it's I like... could use that channel, Will. You know I have troubles getting to sleep with no noise on. I could use that channel. That's almost like an ASMR kind of. No, so he's watching that. So he falls uh, asleep while. Um, Phil and Chucky are upstairs playing on dresses and they're loving it because they're spinning around and they're like parachuting off the bed. There's a weird moment though mm. after Chucky puts on the dress and then walks over an air vent and there's like a Marilyn Monroe moment. homage. Yeah. That's very strange. Didn't like that? No, I didn't like... I, oddly enough, I didn't like a you know a small toddler recreating the Marilyn Monroe dress over a hot vent scene. It's only fun. I don't know. It's still... No. I... Do you know what? They have so much fun trying on those dresses. And this is something that I really believe is true, right? Right. Is that men, so many men, are like one flimsy excuse away from having the time of their life dressed up as a woman, right? (laughs) Because it's one of those things, like, a lot of men wouldn't want to admit that they'd like to try dresses and makeup and see what they'd look like and see if they make a pretty girl but you give them any excuse you know like there's a like amdram or school play or whatever uh, any excuse to just put on a dress and have a go and they're like oh yeah i could uh, i could do that they can't wait for it they love it <laughs> but i think that's true and i think the thing is it's because you haven't got to appreciate like for that kind of thing you haven't got to appreciate the practicalities yeah of, of, of wearing a dress like you say the lack of pockets where do you put your stuff yeah, and high heels and like, and th- this is the thing: all that stuff, all you know, the makeup, the hair, the, the 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 ridiculous, impractical clothes, high heels, whatever. It's fun if you're just trying it on, having a go. <laughs> I can't be doing it every day. Whoever thought that women were going to dress like that every day? Absurd. Can't be done. Ridiculous. <laughs> just some days I just need to lie down, but. For a, for a go, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it, it can be. I say, I've done it once. I've, I've, you've been in drag. I've been in drag once. Yeah, it was. Not great. But did you when that happened? Right, mm. I know it's a while back. Yeah, and like they needed volunteers to go in drag. Yeah, did you find that there was kind of an almost um, bubbling excitement with the men, like they couldn't wait to sign up? I think I don't know that they're. I think there there was, but I think they were kind of holding it back. Exactly, I know. I think he was like holding it back and like I can't seem too keen to want to get into yep. drag. But no, they, we all uh, basically we were all 
I was an Amdram group back home years ago. Yeah. And we would do we used to do reviews every now and then, and we did one where for one number we had um, a load of us doing songs from the twenties and one or two songs from the thirties, but dressed as flapper girls. Yeah. And so there's me and about eight other blokes, including my dad as one of them, <laughs> dressed as flapper girls. And someone had gone out and and made these enormous like flapper like dresses mm. but basically they went almost down to the floor that's probably for the best it is for the best and then it bought us like little bob wigs yeah and um you don't make an attractive blonde i, I disagree <laughs> intensely think of why there's photo evidence that i make a very attractive blonde Thank oh really yeah, yeah. see this is what i mean men are like oh yeah yeah give me a go at this woman's stuff I mean, I'll, I'll be gorgeous I'll, I'll, put, I'll put that photo up to the public right and people <laughs> People can decide whether I make an attractive. Proud woman. of it. Yeah, yeah. No regrets. No regrets on that. But, <laughs> but this thing. But yeah, shoes is one thing because obviously, I mean, I have size twelve feet. Yes. Now finding actual heels in a size twelve, unless you go somewhere that does like drag footwear specialists, that kind of thing. Which there weren't many of back then. No, and they're hugely expensive. I knew a guy at uni who um, who used to do drag, and he had like size ten feet, and had to go and get stuff from one shop in London mm. or get it online from the states, and. He said even then it was like, you know, massively expensive, a few yeah. hundred quid to get like a pair of boots or something. So instead they said, okay, we'll, they went out and bought loads of pairs of slippers and spray painted them gold. <laughs> still bought them three sizes too small. So I'm still there cramming my feet, like bundled up like I'm being, you know, hobbled into a pair of size nine slippers mm. and spray painted gold. I think the equivalent for women is getting naked. Because, again, with Amdram, when you do Calendar Girls, somehow there's no end of uh, people signing up. Like, oh, get me knocks out. Yeah, yeah. No problem. <laughs> it's like they, they used to do those shows with Gok Wan, right? Oh, yeah. How and to... it's women who allegedly have all of these hang-ups about their body, but they volunteered to go on television, get totally naked and be photographed like it. And it's like, I don't know why. I could just tell that they they didn't want to but they really wanted to. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, it's like skydiving or something. It's like, no, I don't want to just randomly fall or, you know, jump off of high things. But in a controlled environment, for a reason, could be thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> I can get that. I can get that. So, Rugrats. Oh, yeah, Rugrats. <laughs> anyway, they're dressed up as women. Yes, they the are. The two little boys are dressed up in dresses. Yeah. And they... They've had fun playing. They fall asleep. Howard, who's supposed to be looking after them, meanwhile, who was asleep, wakes up, realises in a panic he's supposed to be at the International Food Fair. Mm -hmm. And so he grabs them without looking at what they're wearing and throws them in the car and races down there because that's where he's supposed to be meeting everyone. At which point, with at the International Food Fair, it kind of pans across and plays some music that suggests we're going to meet different cultures of the world. And I was like, who are we about to piss off by <laughs> suggesting the men all wear skirts? Because I was like, there are many cultures where men wear different clothing. Who's about to get targeted right now? Could have been worse. I think they've gone with a safe option. They've gone with the Scots. <laughs> they have gone with the Scots. And I was fine with that. Because the Scots... Being told that their kilt is the same as a skirt is just normal now. We do it all the time. But, I mean, before we get to that, obviously we have Chucky and Phil. They go off and um, they meet these two kids who are fighting over 
chucking little, thi- oh, chucking yeah. little thinking they're girls, and they're offering them gummy worms, and they're offering them chocolate, and they they cotton on that Chucky and Phil cotton on think they're girls, and Chucky's back to tell them, and Phil goes, hold on, how much chocolate have you got? Yeah. Phil's like, yeah, I'm going to play Phil's the game. Phil's up for it. I'm going to play the game here. But I seem to remember Phil swapping his little head bow with Lil all the time to pretend that he was a girl anyway, so... Yeah. I actually thought that he wore a dress all the time, but anyway, apparently think, it's shorts. Yeah, but I, I think the thing is, I think he's wearing a dress but wearing shorts underneath it. Yeah, because he's wearing the same thing as Lil. She's just she's just not encumbered with the shorts. Yeah. Anyway, so they pretend to be girls. Um, they have to very quickly think of names, um, you know, to convince these two that they are girls. So they call themselves Fillion and Chuckina. Now, Fillion, that's, that's smart. I like that. Well, I like that because he could have easily gone with Philippa, yeah. but he's a baby and his sister is called Lillian. So he goes with Fillion. I, I like that. That's nice. That's good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so basically they're now being chased by these two. What happened, The way they're discovered is Chucky falls over. This is not good, Will. This is not good. This is not good at all. Chucky falls over and... Chucky does not wear a nappy because Chucky has started potty training. Yes. Chucky's also taken off his his shorts. So, so they see up his dress. We, thankfully, of course, do not. <laughs> thankfully. But this is a scene in which I'm expected to believe that Chucky's cock is out. Yes. I don't like that, Will. No, I don't think that's necessary. Nope. I think I think there's... there's Didn't need it. There are like a million other ways you could have that reveal. Well, um, it, I mean, it, it's obvious that they're boys. They're not very convincing girls. And those other boys are supposed to be slightly older, I think. So mm. they could easily have caught them out. Like, yeah. hey, girls don't do that or whatever. Didn't need a cock out in that no. scene. <laughs> don't want any any real, like, toddler genitals in my TV shows. <laughs> Just don't want it. No, no, unnecessary. Don't need it, don't want it. No. Um, but they run away. So Chucky and Phil run away because these, these boys are going to beat them up, I presume. Um, or Again, don't want that. Don't need that. Not necessary. Don't want people being beaten up for having a cock. So anyway. they come. <laughs> so they come running through, and they come across two sumo wrestlers. And uh, Chucky is again angry that grown-ups are wearing diapers, uh, and that he's having to go through yeah. potty training. Which if I thought. He, if he sees the sumo, and he's like, "If toddler, if um, grown-ups can wear diapers, why am I having to do all this? This is ridiculous." <laughs> But they they sort of end up going down a slide, yeah, and um, come across yeah an array of Scottish babies, and yes. we know this not from the, the accents which are shocking, are pretty shocking. It is from the fact that they're all wearing identical kilts, yeah, um, and they ask what um, clan the other that the, they are from, mm. and um, then they see that the the dresses have ducks on, so they're like ah oh, you're the clan of the duck. Yes, that well-known clan of the duck. The duck, yeah. yeah. And um, they also, of course, because this is the 90s, do kilts up and do a Braveheart yes. cry of freedom. <laughs> to which scare off. I can't remember what it was that we were watching, but I said that every TV show had a Terminator reference, but... Braveheart references must come in at number two. In the 90s, Terminator and Braveheart references yeah. were everywhere. Oh, yeah, I think that, that's got to be like your, your top two. After that, I think late 90s Titanic eclipsed them both. Oh, I'm the king of the world. King of the world. That I mean, that's probably yeah. the most... Now everybody's on about that bloody door, whether the, where the Leo could have got up on the door. Yeah. That, I mean, they I... literally <laughs> show that he can't get up on the door. 
because it starts to sink when he tries. And then everybody's like, why didn't she just scoot over and make room on the door? It's like, did you watch the film? <laughs> Sorry, I don't, I don't, I'm not here for your hot takes. The source material contains all of the information you need. I'm not here for your hot takes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> when you said everyone's on about the door, I was thinking, she's looking at the door from Game of Thrones. She's talking about Hodor. No, 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 the door from Titanic. Oh, the door from the Titanic that Rose is on at the end. Sorry. <laughs> You're not as online as I am, are you? <laughs> I'm not uh, we'd have to say I'm very online. You're, you're on the line to my detriment, <laughs> and um, you are less so. Anyway, so there is much flashing of kilts, and we see a lot of diapers under those kilts. Yes, which succeeds in scaring off the uh, the two the bullies. The bullies, yeah. and um, Tommy meanwhile has pulled out a t-shirt and has joined in with the dress wearing. Um, yes, because Tommy's there now, and uh, then you get a nice little scene between the, the Scottish babies and the clan of the duck. Yeah, who um, thank the Scots for the haggis, ask them what's in it, and they say it's sheep guts. Yeah, and then they all lick their lips like, "Mmm." It's uh, it's impossible, isn't it, to do there's a Scots episode without mentioning haggis. Like all of these kids shows are like. Who's good for a laugh? The Scots. We'll talk about the Scots, the quirky old Scots with their kilts. What else? Haggis. See, I'm amazed they got through it without mentioning caber tossing or bagpipes. Now, now bagpipes also, you've got to have bagpipes, but they did play bagpipes in the background music. Right, okay. Caber tossing, I, I, I think that's less often is that in there. Okay, see, I always think any, any opportunity to get it in there, because it's a quick visual thing. You can just do it as a visual, like, done. I know what you're saying, I know what you're saying, but it, it just feels like the things that you've got to have are the kilts, the haggis, and the accents from people who are not Scottish. <laughs> yes, and that's how this one ends. That's that... how you do a Scottish episode of your kids' TV programme. Yes. But also adding in on this one, a kilt lift Mexican wave. I wrote down that, Mexican wave of flashing. Yeah. Well, it is an international food fair, so maybe some of the babies were Mexican Scottish. Are Mexican waves Mexican? I don't know. I've never I, I thought presume, about that before. I presume so. Because I mean, I don't think Chinese burns are Chinese, are they? No. I, I, I've that's always wondered whether... That's probably racist and I've never thought about it. <laughs> I don't know where that's come from. I've always wondered whether a Mexican wave... You know, first became popularised during the Mexico World Cup, and that's why it's called the Mexican World. Oh, that would be or, perfect. Or whether it was like Mexico, Mexico fans, or, or whether it just started it. in Mexico and it spread across the US, <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously back again. <laughs> Amazing. Well, on that note, I think that wraps up. Rugrats. So, Liz, Rugrats, how do you like me now? I got endless joy from this. I think there's so many jokes in there for adults. I do think, although there are ones, there are things that you go back and you think, I could watch that to enjoy for myself. This is one that I really think would be best enjoyed as an adult with your own kids. Mm. So, you could put you could put a modern day kid down in front of this and I think they would still enjoy it. And well, I guess that's why they're bringing it back. But there's so many jokes in there for the adults that if you haven't seen this since, I think you would get a lot from it that you didn't pick up on the first time, you know? This is good. This is I'm pleasantly surprised because I went into this expecting not to like it. 
Yeah. Um, I went expecting to be irritated. I wasn't as irritated as I thought I was going to be. One or two things still grated on me a little bit, but I think they were going to grate on me, whatever. You know, the formatic Chucky. But yeah, I think I think people go back and watch this. You know, whether the reboot is going to hold up, it's not going to hold up. Go back and watch the original. Yeah. Well, I always feel like that. Yeah. I'm a bit of a purist. Can't help myself. No. Well, there we are. Liz, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much, Will. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you liked this episode, please don't forget to rate, like, subscribe, tell your friends. Get on social media and tell us what you thought of Rugrats, whether you think we got it right, whether you think we got it wrong, whether you have your own hot take on Rugrats. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be back with a new episode soon.